0: From the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com, here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast.
1: Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the weekly edition of the Red Raiders uh, Texas Tech football podcast. I'm Don Williams from the Avalanche Journal Sports Department. Alongside, as always, A.J. Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva, Jr., Texas Tech uh, with a upset victory last week against Oklahoma State, number 21 at the time. Tech wins 45-35, Carlson. Now it's uh, on to Waco, where the Red Raiders will get to face another ranked team in the Baylor Bears. Um, Baylor undefeated at 5-0, 2-0 in the conference. Tech 3-2, 1-1. You can see the game Saturday on Fox Sports 1, 3 p.m. kickoff at McLean Stadium. And, uh, not 11 a.m. Not 11 a.m. <laughs> Next week will be <laughs> 11 a.m. again. Yes, yeah, yeah, so you get to
0: sleep in a little bit,
1: Don, This but, one will be yeah. 3 p.m. I'm kind of looking forward to actually to – just uh going to waco again because it's the first time i've been to mclean stadium i've been i've yeah. been buying on i-35 yeah. plenty mm-hmm. of so times but I. i've
0: never never been in the stadium so have i so uh, obviously i got a couple questions as well we'll talk a little bit about oklahoma state and baylor because uh for those that don't know we've added another podcast throughout the week i talk with ryan king and john sokolov john sokolov from fox 34 ryan king from klbk where we Broke down the Baylor-Bear game and then, of course, broke down what happened at Oklahoma State. And I'm kind of wondering uh, if you kind of feel the same sentiment I had. Me and Ryan kind of shared this, so I'm interested to see how you feel about it, Don, but... I didn't think it was that much of an upset, frankly. I thought it was just a number next to the name of Oklahoma State. And Texas Tech basically did the same thing they did last year, where it was just dominate the the, the trenches, so to speak, the defensive line. And they were just able to kind of just manhandle them. And then Oklahoma State just kind of found their way back and uh, got a couple cosmetic scores, including that onside kick that really helped them kind of make it a little bit, I guess, more uh, palatable, if you will.
1: Well, I I I gotta say there's nobody who is more wrong, more incorrect about that game than I was because I sat here last week. You took the points. I sat here last week and said it's a bad matchup for Texas Tech. I thought they'd not only have trouble winning, I thought they'd have trouble covering the spread. Oklahoma State was favored by ten, and you know the reason I said that was because Oklahoma State's offensive weapons Mm -hmm. had really gotten off to good starts with Sanders and Hubbard and and Wallace, and Texas Tech had gone two games in a row not scoring seventeen points, which had not happened since 1998, and so to see the Tech defense perform the way that they did against Hubbard and Wallace and Sanders, and the Tech offense put it all together and have all that happen in the same day, I was uh, I was kind of blown away. And the thing that was struck me most, and you alluded to, it was just how Texas Tech's defense yeah. front people just dominated Oklahoma State's offensive front. Um, I say I was high on Oklahoma State. I had being an AP poll voter, I had yep. them ranked number fifteen on my ballot going mm-hmm. into last week. They're and, not ranked now. <laughs> yeah, I had to reconsider that <laughs> yeah. just because they looked so very ordinary to unimpressive up front. Yep. I thought they would be I thought they were better than that, but
0: clearly they weren't. Well, I I think the biggest difference and it's kinda something I had seen. Barry Trammell had kind of mentioned it going into the contest, but just giving up the big plays was really what what uh, allowed Texas Tech to be in a good position, because that's what Oklahoma State's predicated on, same thing that Oklahoma's predicated on. If you give give up those big plays, those big chunk plays, I think that's the the reason, and Texas Tech, some of the players kind of mentioned the fact that those were kind of the difference makers in that Oklahoma game where, yes, uh, do things change if you get that big third down stop against the Sooners? I don't know. Keith Patterson mentioned it's 20-10 to 10 at halftime. Maybe it's a little bit different feel, if you, if you want to call it that. But I just felt the fact that you kept everything in front of you, I believe Douglas Coleman had mentioned that. They didn't allow anything to kind of go above them. Yes, there was that one kind of crazy play where Sanders kind of threw it up. The Oklahoma receiver caught it and then obviously got the, the big touchdown Uh, I think it was like a 78 yard catch or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, It was Jordan McCrary. I, I, I remember the kid's name, but it was like 70 plus yards. But I think that was the biggest difference, Don, was one, the defensive line just played out of their minds. They had seven sacks, which before that they had seven total going into that contest. So, I yeah, mean, well, of course,
1: three of those came from Jordan
0: Brooks, but yes. you're right. The yeah.
1: defensive line did play out of their mind. I agree with you there. Fourteen tackles for loss, seven sacks on the day for the group as a whole.
0: But, yeah, and then, of course, the other great thing is when I come to the office and I say I was the only one that picked Oklahoma State to lose that game. So yep. I, I yep. was fired up about that.
1: You know, here's what's interesting, though, is we going forward. Uh, Texas Tech last week against Oklahoma State – seven sacks, 14 tackles for loss. Mm -hmm. Baylor last week against Kansas State, six sacks, 15 tackles for loss. And so both of these teams had multi-year highs when it came to making plays behind the line and getting to the quarterback. It's kind of interesting that uh, both teams put up numbers so similar and uh, now they square off against each other this week. There's a a real big contrast between how – Baylor plays defense, and how Oklahoma State plays defense, mm-hmm. and that's you know something that we visited with David Yost about on Tuesday, the Texas Tech offensive coordinator. And, you know, Tech fans were heartened uh, to see Red Raider Jet Duffy and the guys throwing the ball down the field as much as they did. Seven pass plays that went for more than twenty yards, I believe, was the number. Mm-hmm. And you contrast that with Baylor, which. Uh, has given up only 10 pass plays of 20 yards or longer all season and only three of those of 30 yards or longer. Bears are top 10 defensively in the FBS in both of those categories. And David Yo says the reason why is they play play off you. They keep everything underneath, Mm -hmm. play a lot of zone coverage. And it's been – teams have found it very difficult, practically impossible to get big plays against the Bears – Defensively, and I think that's going to be a good test for Jet Duffy. As we talk about, you know, always talk about his judgment and mm-hmm. not throwing the ball into not throwing the ball into mm-hmm. heavy coverage. Baylor plays that kind of coverage where they're going to have eyes on the quarterback sitting back, kind of playing center field, and just waiting for him to overthrow a guy or, or, or throw a ball they shouldn't. And they're going to again, they're going to be not running with their backs turned. They're going to be facing the QB and. I'm going to be looking
0: to be ball hawks back there. Well, the other thing, too, that I think just from a schematic standpoint, as I was kind of watching a couple games uh, going into today, was they went from four down linemen to three down linemen. They're now a three five three. They have a lot more speed, which I think that also helps to kind of get to wherever the ball is thrown underneath so they're able to make those sure tackles. You got guys that obviously converge to the ball. I think the biggest thing for Texas Tech is if you can get that running game going, that's certainly going to open up. Uh, the passing game. And honestly, I, I know this is kind of a, a weird thing when I kind of mentioned it on the previous podcast uh, with Ryan and John, but I think Jet may have to use his legs a little bit in this one just because I think you're, Ed, you kind of mentioned it, Don. They're going to be looking to obviously make some big plays uh, from the defensive batch or even the linebackers, uh, depending on what level you get to. You're going to have to somehow make them either get closer to you or something else. And then you kind of take that. That one or two or maybe three or four uh, big big play opportunities, and I think that 's going to be the difference in this one
1: something you mentioned there at the uh, beginning of
0: your last statement
1: though i 'd agree with you though running backs I think is going to be could be key to this one you've said the, the backs I thought had a good game last week, Sir Roderick Thompson, Armon shine, Tayshawn Henry, If you look at the box score, none of them had numbers that really jumped out at you mm-hmm. but each of those three guys had two runs of more than ten yards, and then those three guys also contributed uh, a reception of more than ten yards. So those three guys had uh, just about evenly divided nine plays that went for ten yards. That went for ten yards plus were kind of big factors on on a lot of those drives and keeping the chains moving and and getting you downfield and as you alluded to, with uh, Baylor running the three-man front this year um, and playing kind of soft zone and coverage. There could be some opportunities for those.
0: You're going to need those guys to, to pop some runs for you. Not only that, but then you're going to be uh, going into a new atmosphere as we kind of transition into the question-and-answer portion of this. My question for you, Don, is I know we've passed by McLean Stadium a couple times, obviously the – the big thing is sail gating it's not necessarily tailgating because they're on the river so you can kind of do some stuff like that I'm interested to see if maybe the wind plays somewhat of a factor in this game just because of you have obviously the river right there and depending on uh, how the stadium is configured I'm interested to see how that goes but I guess what what are you kind of interested to see with Texas Tech not necessarily playing a game uh, in a neutral side location this time
1: I think it's just how the I think it's gonna be how they react and as you said being First time for nearly virtually all those guys to be in that stadium. Just yep. kind of what the what are the dynamics? Um, what What is the how tight is the sideline? Yeah, you know, that's a factor when you play at Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. for example. How close what are the fans like there? How on you do they get? How close to you are they? How much of a factor are they? I mean, it's kind of a small, you know, small, intimate stadium, only 45,000. I think, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a Kind of a good design, and kind of a a design that and a capacity that suits Baylor's purposes. Where, when their program is really going good, you pack you can pack forty five thousand people in there. On in leaner years, you don't have as many as empty seats because it's not as big a stadium as as just about I guess any place in the Big Twelve. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any stadium in the Big 12 now that has a lower
0: capacity than 45,000. You may be correct. And then yeah. the other thing, too, is it's not going to seem like an empty cavern when there's about 20,000 people inside mm. AT&T Stadium, too. So you're, you're going to probably have to deal with that crowd noise. But uh, certainly I'm sure some people have some questions about Baylor, maybe even Oklahoma State now.
1: Yep, every week we solicit uh, questions from you, the listener, and uh, you always come through for us. Have again this week, uh, Robert Powell. You can follow Robert at rptexan.com. Yes, com. Yes. She's going to make friends. Shout says <laughs> Robert says, Don and Carlos, if Duffy plays very well and Tech wins more than they lose, or if Tech starts a seven-game losing streak, do you see where they redshirt
0: Bowman? Since he only played in three, he could easily get the redshirt. Oh, man, again, it's just so many variables, Don. Like, that's the thing. I, I And and I hate to be that guy, but it's just you have to see where you are at that point. I mean, if it does go to – I mean, again, these are hypotheticals. If you go on a losing streak, I mean, say maybe Bowman doesn't, uh, doesn't heal the way that the doctors or the MRIs are showing that you like, then obviously that kind of changes the situation of on a seven-game losing streak. But I think as of this point, the way I would think – the coaching staff is at least thinking, again, putting words in people's mouths, but Jet Duffy's starting quarterback. They're going to do the best they can to put him in the best position to win, which seemed like they did a pretty good job against Oklahoma State. Of course, the guys around him did play better, which is something Matt Wells talked about in the postgame presser. The offensive line block for him, he had about five to seven seconds compared to where he was running for his life, along with Jackson Tyner against the Sooners. I thought that was a huge difference. He weren't necessarily having to make quick decisions. He was able to read the Oklahoma State defense a little bit better because of that but I mean at this point if I had to guess it, it, it's just one of those things where I think Jet Duffy's probably your starting quarterback the rest of the year and unless there's some crazy I guess uh Alan Bowman really wants to play this game type uh I guess push I I would probably see a better use of a redshirt year for Allen to do what is best to make him healthy going into this year rather than doing what happened last year. And maybe, again, two freak accidents, I get it. But it's just – it's one of those things where you just want to make sure that he is as healthy as he can be going into the season.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'd answer the question this way. I think I think it's a question that they're going to have to confront at some point in November. Um. I agree. I think I agree with you that I feel like as long as Jet Duffy continues to play like he did last week and make progress, I think he's going to be the starting quarterback the rest of the season. Um, let's lay out the timeline here. David Yost said on Tuesday that uh, Alan Bowman is supposed to have an X-ray a couple of weeks from now, mm-hmm. and that will determine whether he's either back practicing or needs more time to heal. And so that timeline with that time so that timeline to me means this is you're you're not gonna have Alan Bowman back until I think the earliest would be the November ninth game at West Virginia, because if he's just coming back, you got that open date on November second. Mm-hmm. And, and that so would I be four the, games left. Yeah, including so at think, West Virginia. Right. And so I think the earliest you see him back would be starting that four game stretch on november 9th. Well, then you have the issue of he will be two months between games and from a continuity standpoint, Jet Duffy has the edge because he would have been your starting quarterback for he would have been your quarterback for five games in a row at that point. Mm-hmm. And so he would have the edge of his continuity versus Bowman's rust factor. Mm-hmm. And then if – again, that's probably best-case scenario that Allen is back at that point. If he's not back at that point, then you're talking you're down to three or two or one game left in the re- – three or two games left in the regular season. Do you preserve his red shirt? Do you feel like he can give you more than Jet Duffy's given? I thought it was interesting yesterday that David Yo said Jet Duffy had a game grade of 91%, which they consider a winning number. Yeah. But he also said for as good as he graded, he had – too many negatives, more mm-hmm. negatives than they like. There are still stuff in his game, be it missed passes or other things in the operation that they want him to clean up. Maybe he can clean that up over the next month and, and kind of put himself into a position where even if Allen is back healthy, they stay with Jep. And so I, th- I think we kind of tend, I think we pretty much tend
0: to agree on. On what we're looking at, though. Yeah, because the other thing, too, and then obviously to kind of do one quick point and then we can go to the next one, but your backups right now at least are Jackson Tyner and Xavier Martin, who's switching back from wide receiver and was a quarterback. He's actually splitting his time. Yeah, so so going back and and forth. So that's obviously your situation if you want to look at it that way. Again, I just feel like it's Jed Duffy or bust at this point.
1: Uh, Kelly Utterback. At MK Utterback asked, do you think Jet Duffy is a better fit in Yost's offense as a dual-threat quarterback than Alan Bowman? And I went back and did my research, kind of looking at the numbers, and they showed me pretty much what I thought. And that is, if you look at David Yost's history as a quarterback's coach, he has had very good quarterbacks who were dual threat guys like Judd Duffy, and he's had very good quarterbacks who were pretty much passer pocket guys like Alan Bowman. Um, at Missouri, those twelve years that he was at Missouri, you had they had Brad Smith who was a three time one thousand yard rusher, and Brad Smith had two ninety one on the ground and five mm-hmm. touchdowns in the 0-3 game against Tech, just shredded. Just shredded the Red Raiders. He was a big time running quarterback. He was a that guy, deluxe. And late in, later, later uh, in part of the decade, they had James Franklin, a guy who's still yep. playing in the Canadian Football League. Mm-hmm. Franklin was much like Brad Smith. Had nine hundred plus yards rushing and fifteen rushing touchdowns and eleven career wise, he ran for more than seventeen hundred yards and twenty one touchdowns. So. Mm-hmm. Those were, those were two Jet Duffy type guys that thrived with David Yost coaching them, but then David also had Chase Daniel and Blaine Gabbert, Jordan Love at Utah mm-hmm. State, Justin Herbert for one year at Oregon. And those are four guys who were all passers and did very little running, you know. And David now David Yost is not the offensive coordinator all those years, but he was coaching the quarterbacks all those years for the guys I just named. Herbert, as a freshman up at Oregon, you know, as as a freshman, had 19 touchdown passes, four interceptions, nearly 2,000 yards. Didn't run hardly at all. Blaine Gabbert, Chase Daniel, even Jordan Love. People might think as a runner, Jordan Love, very little rushing yardage. So he's had a couple of guys that were Jet Duffy types that really excelled in his offense, and a couple of guys that were not Jet Duffy types. And the com- the only common denominator though with David Yost quarterbacks is they've all been good, and so what that tells me is David has had, a, had the uh capability to you know do what you want from a coach, which is get the best out of his guys, configure his offense to if it's a running quarterback or a pocket guy, that they can still flourish or thrive either way.
0: I mean, the the, the easy general answer is to say if you have a dual threat quarterback, you want a dual threat quarterback. But I think the one thing uh, from all those guys that I remember, at least from kind of watching them or just kind of checking out tape every once in a while when we kind of watch that stuff is just they're all good decision makers. And that's the one thing that Jed Duffy is still working on right now, as you kind of alluded to, where, yes, he graded out well, but there are still some things that he can work on in his game to make him a little bit more efficient of a a, uh, pocket passer. I think he showed a little bit of that as he made those. I thought they were unbelievable throws to Kashawn Carter to the left side of the end zone and then T.J. Vasher to the back of the end zone. I thought there was a lot of intent to those, a lot of confidence. I think if he shows that type of bravado in the pocket, I think that is what David Yost is looking for. And if you have the ability to run, obviously that makes you even more – of a threat to the defense, but right now I think uh, he's still trying to take uh, some of the "I'm a running quarterback that can throw the ball when needed" type of moniker off of him because that's what he was before. But obviously, from that last game, he showed he could certainly throw the yeah throw the yeah. football. Yeah,
1: and you know, and here the, and the other thing about that now is with the how thin the depth chart is at quarterback. I, I don't think you. Jeff definitely necessarily thinks this way, but um, you, you probably don't want him to run that much. Well, he had for, mentioned that the, too. You know, at least for the next month or so.
0: Yeah, he had mentioned that he he is cognizant that he has to obviously take care of himself, knowing the situation with the quarterbacks. But the yeah, thing is, if too, if is if, up. Then where are you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you you want to make plays, but the thing is, is you just have to be smart about it. And it's funny that we're bringing this up because there was another pretty good quarterback that would like to run the football and didn't really. Uh, you know, get out of bounds and slide that that much, and he would get hurt. Mm-hmm. And he hurt his ankle too against uh, Kansas City, on, or against uh, I can't remember the team they played last weekend. But hopefully, he's all right. Uh, was reading some stories where Patrick's a little bit better with the ankle. Speaking of injuries,
1: Nick Carter, you can follow him at at J Nicholas Carter. Asked what is the injury fallout from last weekend? And Cody Partain.
0: That is all you, Don
1: R R N Kyle asked what happened to Adrian Fry. Um, you know, injury fallout from last weekend, of course, primarily is What is what is the secondary? How did the, the secondary come away from it? Because you went into the game with Adrian Fry, and mm-hmm. in, in the game you lost Des Smith with mm-hmm. what looks like a knee injury, and you yep. lost Thomas Leggett with what looks like a head injury slash concussion. Um, I think you're going to see Adrian Fry back this week. Um, looks like when we were over there, uh, I think he probably yep. practiced. Got okay you saw him in full uniform. Uh, I don't think you're going to see Des Smith or Thomas Leggett this week. I think um, both of those guys, I would say, are somewhere between doubtful and just out. I was going to say, Des looked like he was in
0: some significant yeah. pain. I mean, Des so. has been seen still on crutches yeah. as mm-hmm. recently
1: as yesterday, and I yeah. assume
0: probably today. And that's why you're answering this. I wasn't in practice yesterday.
1: And, <laughs> and Tommy Leggett, honestly, I mean, when we were waiting for the end of practice the last couple of days for post practice interviews, uh, he he walked out. Yeah. Uh, in not in not in football gear. Yeah before practice was over. So, obviously, it looked like he had done little to uh, no football work. So, what does that mean for your secondary? Uh, you, know, you know, it's it's not a great situation, but I don't think it's as bad as, as you might think. Because Alex of, okay, Hogan played well. Well, here's the thing, yeah. though. You're, you're going to have five experienced de- defensive backs mm-hmm. on Saturday. You're going to have Zach McPherson and DeMarcus Fields at cornerback, which is – that's every week. Yep. And you're gonna have Doug Coleman at one safety, that's yep. every week. And like I say, I think you're gonna have Adrian Fry at the other safety yep. and he's one of your most decorated guys. And then I believe the you know, the next logical guy to fit in there somehow is Jamarcus Ingram who has started, you know, started a bunch yep. of games for Matt Wells and Keith Patterson up at Utah State, I believe fifteen starts. He's not an ex- inexperienced guy. So there's I think you roll out with five guys who are experienced guys who have played mm-hmm. a bunch of football. And you're in a good position there. I think, though, the issue is, particularly facing a team with a good passing offense, those guys, you don't want those guys to play 90 snaps. And so you're going to need some, you're going to need Dadrian Taylor to to roll in there and, and play a little bit on fry spot. You're going to need Alex Hogan maybe to roll in there and Alex Hogan or John Davis to, to give McPherson and Fields a breather. You may need Adam back to play one of those safety positions a little bit, and so I say again at the beginning of the game, and for a good portion of the game, as long as those guys stay healthy, I think you are going to have five experienced DBs, so it's not going to be a uh, sky is falling kind of thing. But you are going to need some of the younger guys. You, you are going to need some of your backups to to play a little bit now. You were mentioning the weather a moment ago, Carlos, and I actually I, actually looked, up the, I looked up the weather a moment ago mm-hmm. when I, because of this very topic, mm-hmm. and the National Weather Service says that it's going to be mid-60s on Saturday in Waco. There's
0: a cold front in uh, Fort Worth right
1: now. Yeah, it's only supposed to be like 59-degree high in, mm-hmm. in Waco on Friday. Mid- Bust out the green hoodie. yeah. Mid-60s on Saturday with a northeast wind from 7 to 9 miles an hour in game time. So I think that benefits tech in this situation because your DBs may be a little thin, but they're not going to be out there in 95-degree heat. It's not even supposed to be high humidity on Mm -hmm. Saturday either. It's going to be very pleasant football weather, so I think that kind of helps those guys stay fresh and play more snaps.
0: And then, of course, uh, don't forget about Rico Jeffers, who will be out for the first half as well. That's another tough Mm -hmm. one for them. Uh, For targeting. Yeah, if I had to figure Tyreek Matthews is someone that was brought up by Coach Matt Wells. Uh, Kosey Eldridge could probably come in. Evan Rambo, assuming that he's back from his injury, could come out. And potentially play. Heck, he could even play at the defensive back position just because of his versatility. And that's one thing and I guess Braden I would say. Was yeah, the other Braden guy. Stringer and uh, Patrick Curley, I believe, is another linebacker that.
1: Yeah, could Matt, play. Matt mentioned uh, those first four guys that you named. Yeah. Matt mentioned those four guys, some combination of those guys to help replace Rico Jeffers. And he mm-hmm. did confirm that Evan Rambo is back this week oh, okay. after missing. Uh,
0: After missing the last couple of games, I think, with a concussion issue, also. Which that's a big deal for Texas Tech. And just to make one more point before we move on, the versatility is helping a little bit, at least in this uh, defensive back front slash linebacker front, where you got guys that can play both. So, like you said, if you got a guy that needs a breather, you can maybe move someone else and maybe kind of figure out some plays that way.
1: Slip it over from the uh, defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball. A couple of questions. Andrew Gleis. Gleinser or Gleisner? I, I forget which. I tomato, tomato. Uh, asked, Jack Anderson played in four games, so he should red shirt. Correct? Yes. Jack Anderson played in – actually, Jack only played in three games. And so you don't even – he's out for the season with, with a shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Matt Wills confirmed that. Uh, out for the year. Out for the year. And so – you don't even need a medical hardship. Which is huge because the,
0: those are already difficult to get as is. And plus, trying to get another one, is, is hopefully, obviously, nothing happens again, but those are difficult. And then not only that, but then you get the red shirt. Yeah. And that's the
1: thing. Jack Anderson is not previous. He, hadn't, he hasn't used a red shirt year because he came in here and started as a true freshman, had played in fewer than four games. So this, you can just use this as his normal mm-hmm. red shirt year. Um, and then following up on that, Nunya or at. M. I. Embry asked, will Terrence Steele continue to rotate between guard and tackle this week? That's
0: all you, because you've been on that a little bit more than Mm -hmm. I have. I mean, I I don't know what they did with the offensive line, but they were playing out of their minds as well. Like I said, Duffy was getting plenty of time this time. I don't know if maybe it was just the difference of – the Oklahoma State front compared to the Oklahoma front. Of course, Baylor's going to be a little bit different because you got James Lynch, a guy that, I mean, he's going to probably be a name you hear a lot when uh, Texas Tech does play against the mm-hmm, Old
1: Bears. Mm-hmm. James Lynch and Bravian Roy, too, is the big nose guard that uh, has made a lot of plays. You know, at the beginning of the game last week, the right side of the offensive line was uh, Terrence Steele, a right guard, and Casey Verholst at right tackle, which that was interesting because Terrence has started 40 games now, and the first 39 of them, every single one of them was at a tackle. And they moved him to guard last week. Um, and they said the other day that uh, really didn't work him there in the spring at all. I mean, first time they looked at that was last week. Um and they kept it that way for the first two series, and then uh, the rest of the game. Terrence moved out to right tackle, and Weston Wright moved in at right guard. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think what you'll see, I think you'll see that primarily the rest of the way, just because of Terrence Steele has so much more experience at tackle than he does at guard. And the coaching staff has been real high on Weston Wright going all the way yeah. back to the spring. Mm-hmm. They're very complimentary of him. I think they feel like he's kind of a young guy who's an up-and-comer. Um, they did say, I thought it was interesting, though, Matt Wells and David Yeo said both said that they didn't think Casey Verhulst was ready for the full game of right tackle, and they didn't think Weston Wright was ready for the full game or right guard. And so my guesstimate is the usual alignment will be right at right guard and steal at right tackle. But I think Casey Verholst has played enough. You know, he's made three starts now. I think he's played enough that you'll see series then where they'll kind of shift it back and put
0: Verholst at tackle and steal at guard. Should be interesting. Like I said, they've been shuffling a... A ton, but I think that the one thing that is going to help is maybe some consistency and maybe they'll start getting this against Baylor. But then, again, I said that uh, maybe you'll get it starting with Oklahoma and then all of a sudden Jack Anderson gets hurt. So, I mean, it's just one of those things.
1: Uh, Back to a defense question. Robert Powell weighs in again at RP Texan. Tex defense seems to be more aggressive under Patterson. Not to besmirch David Gibbs, but he seemed to be much less aggressive. Do you see here the same thing? do blitz stats bear this out?
0: I don't know if the stats bear it out, but you can see just from watching the game, the f- defensive backs are a little bit more up in the wide receivers, and that's why you see them maybe making a little bit more tackles when there's a screen play or they can kind of sniff stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, David Gibbs is more of a guy that kind of, for lack of a better term, kept things in front, so that's why you would kind of have guys five to ten yards off a receiver and you kind of give up those, those plays. But the thing is, is when you do that, you're obviously making the offense try and uh, have longer drives. Maybe they make a mistake on one of those throws, or maybe you pick one of those, you know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's different ways to say it. But I, in terms of aggressiveness, I, I that's kind of tough just because it's ju- it's just one of those, those words that, I mean, you can look at it stat-wise, but I, I think that the biggest thing that you can talk about with the defense is just, the defensive line play has been getting a lot better, and it seems like the defense is getting better.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing I see. Um, I I think Keith Patterson's approach is, yes, be more aggressive, send more pressure at the quarterback. And in doing so, uh, some weeks will be like last week where you fluster the quarterback and make him look bad, and it it works, and it works, and it works, and it works. And and they don't – Take advantage of it. And in other weeks, you're going to send pressure at the quarterback, and you're going to give up a 75-yard touchdown mm-hmm. pass. Um, and I think David Gibbs' approach was play off, play back, uh, play, zone def- play a lot of zone defense, have your defensive back with their eyes on the quarterback, and uh, then you're looking to intercept passes. And you're going for all those strips yeah, that they the, went yeah, for the, when, the, the when, strips, when yeah. David when David Gibbs mm-hmm. was defensive coordinator. You know, and it worked for him. Yeah. I mean, he produced a, a, a whole bunch of turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, David, from the very beginning here, I remember saying that uh, your defensive backs, by and large, you don't have as good of an athletes as those guys. Do a quarterback and wide receiver because if they were better athletes, they'd be wide. You'd, you'd have yeah. a wide receiver because mm-hmm. that's the that's the way the game is going right now. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have a harder time. We're not going to work on them as much on tackling because you're not able to tackle most of those guys in the open field. And you know what? At Oklahoma, that sure looked exactly like what the situation was. Yeah. You weren't able to tackle C.D. Lamb and Charleston Rambo in the open field, and they made you look bad. So his way of countering that was um, let's try to get a whole bunch of turnovers. Intercept, intercept pass, play off, intercept passes. um, Go go for strips. Go for strips. And Keith Patterson's more of the traditional way, which is we're going to send pressure at the quarterback. And if they beat us and we give up a few big, give up Mm -hmm. some 60 and 70 yard touchdown passes, well, that's the price you pay.
0: And it's and it just goes back to obviously studying the opponent and knowing when to send your blitz or in, as Keith Patterson has said sometimes he'll send a blitz when you're not expecting it like on a first down or something like that and maybe that kind of gets you in that second and long and then that sets up a, a better situation for the defense which had done a good job with third downs but it's kind of been a little bit back and forth. The yeah, last and a couple I, of weeks.
1: I will say this: I think their success with pressure was. I think they had a lot more success, and okay, this is kind of a duh, obvious. I think they had a lot more success with the pressure last week than they had at any point the first month of the season. Because the first month of the season, I would notice a lot of times, okay, they're blitzing, but you know what? A lot of people probably didn't even notice because you didn't get close to the quarterback. You didn't really affect him. You didn't get him off. uh, You didn't didn't make the quarterback move. You're still able to stand in there and, and, and throw the football without much pressure. Well, and so I think they timed it up right, and just had more success with it overall. Because I remember going into last week's game, you did not have a single player with more than one sack for
0: the season. Yeah, they had seven quarterback hurries and three sacks against UTEP. That was probably your best uh, effort, other than a two sack effort against Arizona. And you didn't really have many quarterback hurries, but then you can't really hurry a quarterback that's as fast as Khalil Tate. So, I mean, that's kind of the the dub part too, I suppose.
1: Um, let's see. Before we get to the comic relief uh, segment of our show, questions, (laughs) I've run through everything I I had on my list. Did you have anything additional uh, that came in late,
0: Carl? I got a couple. We got one from longtime listener, first-time tweeter, Ryan King. Since Waco is most well-known for being the home to Dr. Pepper, what are each of your top five sodas or pops, depending where you're from, since Don is a superior ranker in Lubbock? (laughs)
1: Since soft drinks are is one of my worst vices. That it is. Uh, RC Cola. I drink a ton of RC Cola way too much. If they'd like me to do an endorsement for them, <laughs> I guess I would. I'll, I'll take that. I'll use D- my name, image, and likeness to get an RC Cola deal.
0: I'm just like Jamie Linton, Mo- Mountain Dew. Dude loves his Mountain Dew.
1: Uh, let's see other, So that would be number one. Doc, Dr. Pepper, number two. 3 4 would be uh Pepsi or Coke in some order and number 5 uh I guess Big Red. But actually Big Red maybe should be up there a little higher. But yeah, those would be my top 5 RC Dr Pepper, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Big
0: Red, I'm go a little different, uh Sprite. I like A&W Root Beer. It's got a little kick to it. 7 Up is probably another one that I like. Uh, I know it's basically the same as Sprite, but it's got a different taste for me. Uh Pepsi's another one that I like and then uh, obviously for me i i can't uh, not enjoy a coca-cola and a taco
1: you know that's weird that, that's interesting because yeah. our, our tastes there are so different see i've never been a lemon lime soda guy oh, i love sprite man it's good and stuff they, and they haven't been a root
0: beer I haven't, I haven't had a root beer i think since i was a kid i mean well here's the thing now i don't know if it was a thing here but a and w uh a and w the uh the hamburger slash fast food place used to be huge in el paso root beer flows man
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and cells. I like root beer, yeah. okay, but I, I can say honestly, I don't think I've had a root beer since I was twelve years old or so.
0: Now, nah, well, here's the thing: is I haven't had soda in forever, as you all know, because I have to drink water a lot. So the last, I think, the last time I had a soda was probably a Sprite. So
1: I wish I could say the same. Yeah. Last last time I had a soda was like five minutes ago, before we before we walked <laughs> yeah. in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Hyatt from Ryan Hyatt Media asked a series of questions. And this is for my generation, Carlos. Why did neck rolls and forearm pads go out of style? I don't know, but I wish I I would love to see
0: an old-style 1970s neck roll. Huge fan of the neck rolls. Also a huge fan of, you know, the, uh, I don't, man, I I wish I knew the term, but you know when, when they have it on the back of the, Back in the old, Those, the turtle looking. Yeah, yeah, the turtle things. deal. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. When those uh, are, man, I'm trying to
1: remember. Moose those Johnson big back used to the, have one. Those are big back in the 90s.
0: Yeah, Daryl Johnson used to have one. I remember uh, Bill Bates was a favorite of mine that used to have one of those as well. No, I mean, obviously, I.
1: There was a guy from Tech named Stefan Weatherspoon. He played at Coronado and he yep. uh, went to North Texas. He came back to Tech as a walk on with a starter and there. 1989 All-American Bowl team. They called him the turtle dog because he had one of those big – he was one of the first guys, it seemed like. He had one of those big, yeah. big, like, seat yeah. head cushion things yeah. that
0: came halfway up the back of his helmet. Which makes so sense, though, because obviously dog. you don't want your head to go all the way back. That's why they, they were there. But, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with that. But, I mean, the technology's gotten a little bit better, I suppose. Maybe that's why they're gone. I, I'm sure. I I'm guess.
1: Sure. Yeah. Ryan also asked, I think he probably knows the, the answer to this question, have you ever had a near-death experience in Waco? I've never had a near-death experience in Waco, but the, uh, uh, the one time that I feared for my life the most in mm-hmm. my 54 years was mm-hmm. uh, on a flight from Waco to Dallas after the Texas Tech-Baylor game in 19- jump? 1991. Yeah, we were on a mm-hmm. puddle jumper. Um, and this will tell you how things have changed in our business, where now we drive back and forth to Kansas. Yeah. Uh, Day of the Tech, we actually took a puddle jumper from Waco to Dallas after Mm -hmm. the Tech-Baylor game in 1991. Rained all day, overcast. Tech got a 31-24 victory against the Bears. Donnie Brooks returned a fumble, 99 yards for a touchdown. The ball popped out on the goal line. He took it all the way back. Red Raiders ran 31-24 again. Total gray day, rain, never let up. So on the way back, uh, we fly from Waco to Dallas on about a one seater on each side, Hmm. probably about 15, 16 people on the plane. And it was a harrowing experience. Felt like, you know, 30 minutes of just up and down and around and. I mean, really scary. Well, that's I mean, good to know because hands, I hands down the scariest flight. That's really good to on. know because I think
0: I got a prop plane in my future when I go from uh, Pittsburgh to Morgantown for good old uh, Big Twelve basketball. So,
1: <laughs> the, now here's the interesting thing you know. about that story. Th- this this was so scary you know. that okay, fifteen more. Uh, I think, what was it? Fifteen, sixteen years later, Tech and Tech, Texas Tech is out at the Insight Bowl in Arizona. It's maybe after two thousand six. We were talking about bad flights as we waited at the airport in Phoenix to come home. And Robert Giovanetti says to me, "Were you on that flight from Waco to Dallas?" And I didn't even have to finish the yeah. sentence. I was like, "Yes, I was on that flight." It was so bad that all those years later, people remember. People remember. Yeah. So Robert <laughs> Giovanetti and I. There you go. We're still here because, <laughs> because the pilot managed to land us in Dallas that night. And
0: that's why we all love pilots.
1: And uh, Ryan also asked, what shade of green is your favorite color? Unless you take some cars. What shade of green is your favorite color? Lime, I guess. I kind of like some of those oakland A's uniforms where they have the... Uh,
0: Definitely not highlighter like what Baylor does or what Oregon does. Not yeah, so that's, that's uh, too um, much. You know, you're that's right. too bright kind have of a kelly green or a forest green I guess kelly for. kelly green uh i know the wall hawks have a really good uh color of green that they they used to wear down in san angelo kelly green's probably yeah, yeah i think kelly green's the one i would go with yeah well, that's
1: every question that's on my sheet every question that's on my list
0: so i guess we will wrap it up well Is it, you let's you see any, here anything let, else come in let me double t- well yeah, i don't know if it's anything that hasn't come in it's just maybe you missed it let's see here uh david collier asked if you are not listening to the game broadcast what would be playing in those headphones you wear on game time? oh i forgot about that one who took that picture anyway that would be david collier david collier
1: oh david shot me on the sideline the other day and turned it into a gif and turned it into a gif it's a fantastic I, I gif d- i did see that i waved at him Yeah. no that, that, <laughs> that is what the gif shows I was probably listening to the game broadcast. I don't know. I don't have any funny answer for that one, for no. what I, for what else I would be listening to.
0: And then, uh, for most of us that have not been to Waco since 2007, have any suggestions on places to eat, since you're a regular, for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame? So that was a little shout-out there to your...
1: You know, that's a good um You know, I, haven't had, I have not had a lot of meals in Waco, because it seems like when I drive back and forth to Waco, I eat somewhere along the way. Um, I t- I tell you if you're, if you're coming in from if you're coming in from the north on i-35 in the community of Abbott hometown of Willie Nelson there's a uh, place I love called still smoking barbecue still smoking barbecue they've been there since uh, I think the 1970s uh, I used to eat there we used to eat there my Family is from Hillsboro, Texas, which mm-hmm. is about thirty miles north of Waco. that's my parents' hometown, where my mm-hmm. grandparents used to live, where I used to go on summer vacation uh, at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they had a barbecue place. It was op- There was uh, kind of a meat shop that was open. Like I say, all the way back to the seventies. So I've been going there since I was nine years having food there since I was nine years old. It's still open. It's called Still Smoking Barbecue, Abbott, Texas, north of Waco, a lot right there, just off the interstate on the east side. That's uh. I like to eat there uh, when I'm coming home from uh, the, my annual sojourn to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in June.
0: I know Vitex Barbecue is a place Matt Stepp has told me is really good there. I like to go to a place called Fuego's because it's open 24-7. Good old tacos. But, so, of course, you know me. I love tacos. So <laughs> so, so do I. Yeah. Perhaps
1: uh, Brad Dollison and I will check it out this weekend. You shared The queso's delicious. All righty. Well, I guess that'll put a wrap on it for us for this week. We appreciate uh All the uh, listeners and our followers on Twitter who uh, chimed in with questions and conversation topics um, always makes it fun. And, again, you can reach uh, Carlos at at CM Silva Jr., and you can reach me at at AJ underscore Don Williams. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Carlos and I will talk to you again next week.